You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, folks, and thanks for tuning in to AOA. Today, always appreciate you making us a part of your day. And what a day it is setting up to be here in the world of agriculture. We're going to cover a number of different subjects on today's show. Here in just a moment, we're going to talk markets with Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst with Bar Chart. Before segment two, and we're going to dig into the weather with our friend John Baranek, Meteorologist with DTN Weather. And in segment three, folks, believe it or not, after a slow start to this Congress legislature, Legislation is moving. The A-plus Act was reintroduced earlier this week. We're going to talk with Chelsea Good from the Livestock Marketing Association about that bill and why they're supporting it here in this 118th Congress. So stay with us. We'll have a lot more AOA coming up over the next hour. But before we dive into all of that, folks, we've got to start with a look at the way the markets are greeting this week. And it looks like another week where soybeans are going to be moving on headlines. Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst with Bar Chart, joins us now. And Darren, has there been a have there been any fundamental change to the outlook here for the soybean market? The oilseed complex in general remains remains bullish. We can see that inverted future spreads everywhere we want to look. But what's interesting is we you know, we, we saw these markets getting beat up on Friday uh, on on forecast for some rains across uh, Argentina and southern Brazil this past weekend. So you know you get some normal you know wraparound weather market weekend activity where you're selling it off heading into the weekend on forecast of. of rain. The rains did occur. But now as we come out of the weekend, the extended forecast, according to Eric Snodgrass, who you and I both had the privilege of listening to here a week or so ago, uh, it now looks, his words, aggressively dry and warmer across Argentina. Now, this certainly got the attention of both uh, traders in both uh, soybeans and soybean meal overnight as, as both markets just shot up from the open and really never looked back. Darren, how have Brazilian soybeans been moving onto the market now that harvest is actually underway across that country? Yeah, again, reports are that that harvest across the bulk of of uh, Brazil still pretty slow, uh, we're, but we're seeing some beans coming in. You know, the idea is the big crop. It's supposed to be re- it's supposed to be record big, record large. It's supposed to continue to get bigger as as harvest goes along. And if this hot, dry weather uh, pattern plays out over much of the key growing areas, Argentina and Brazil, I think that's going to hasten. It's really going to kind of put the gas to harvest. And so as we make our way into early and mid February, I think we're going to see a lot more uh, Brazilian beans coming on, and it's going to test how much demand, uh, how much global export demand there really is for U.S. soybeans. All right, Darren, while we're thinking South America here, I know the other implication we've discussed a lot on this program here over this next year is going to be Argentina's ability to crush beans and export meal. Are we starting to see the Argentines import any beans from Brazil yet? I haven't heard of it. Now, it wouldn't be surprising uh, for them to bring some soybeans in from uh, from Brazil. You know, I'm also going to toss it out there. I haven't, again, I have not heard heard this, but you know, what What if U.S. beans start making their way into Argentina as well? I don't know that it works out mathematically, uh, but there is that chance because, I mean, we're going to have to find some area. If we're going to continue to export, we've got to find somebody besides China because they're going to be completely focused uh, on pulling as many of that, as much of that record crop out of Brazil as possible. All right, Darren, while we're on the meal topic, looking at the March soybean meal complex, we are bouncing around right near, gosh, it almost appears to be five-year highs, at least in this soybean meal market. Where does it go from here? Is the trade getting a little toppy at these levels? You know, (laughs) it's one of those things. We're sitting here above $480. uh, It's hard to say, oh, this is a buying opportunity. But, you know, the March is right up against its its, uh, contract high of 487. You know, if someone wanted to take a shot at selling it, they probably can, but I wouldn't risk very much. I mean, this is a very, this is a, this is a market that's under on fire right now. Again, we have inverted future spreads. We've got commercial buying coming in. We've got a shortage uh, of Argentine soybeans, the world's largest uh, soybean meal exporter. So there's a lot of reasons to not want to sell this, possibly stepping in and buying. Just really hard to do up at these levels. 
Well, speaking of up at these levels, Darren, we have had the live cattle market trading up at these levels for about six months. We're north. I see the April's up over 160 here in fat cattle. Where do you see this moving from here? What issues are you watching in the cattle complex? You know, it's, it's, it continues to be a really interesting market, the livestock sector in general. You know, we've got, as you mentioned, we've got April sitting up at 162 plus, and it's closing in on its high, uh, its contract high up around 162.75. Fundamentally, cattle market still looks bearish. We saw the cash uh, the cash index come in at what, 156 last week. Uh, so we've got the February contract too high. Obviously, we've got the April contract running well above that. We've had boxed beef weakening and there were stories out this weekend that global demand for beef is going down due in large part to price uh, and the price of other proteins that people can buy. And, and, you know, the story was talking about folks in, you know, not only in, in London, which isn't a huge surprise, but in Argentina, where basically beef is every meal. Uh, and now they're talking about a slowdown in demand in Argentina, possibly in the U.S. as well. I have to do some more work on this, but it was an interesting subject. And again, certainly doesn't fit with what we're seeing in the futures market where it just refuses to go down. It refuses to go down. Darren, you mentioned, I mean, we are less than a dollar off of that top there in the April contract. If the Federal Reserve only raises interest rates, 50 basis points, as mm -hmm. the trade is expecting, can that pull? Can we have enough energy to pull some of that outside money into fats and push them up over the top? That's what's going to be interesting here over the next couple of weeks, because I think the anticipation is we're going to see a series of 50 basis point moves now. Uh, it's not like we're going to start seeing lower interest rates. But despite that, we've still got we've still got all three U.S. stock indexes turning higher, setting the stage for some higher monthly closes here in January. So it looks like there's still money moving into stocks. Uh, cattle could try to follow we're not seeing a great deal of non-commercial buying coming into live cattle, but it could start again. Uh, and if it does, then we've got the classic rubber band disposition where you've got non-commercial money coming in and commercial still saying the market's bearish uh, from a fundamental point of view. Those are usually interesting to watch play out. They usually end in favor of the commercial side. Just hasn't been the case here recently in the live cattle market. No, it, it really hasn't. It just has not worked out for those producers. Darren, we've got a lot of news here ahead. Of course, you write constantly. Where can folks find your analysis here throughout the uh, the commodity markets? Couple couple places. First, you can go to our website, uh, try a free trial, DarrenNewsom.com. And you can also go to BarChart.com and go to News. Uh, and you can click on my name and find all of the different pieces covering all of the different markets that I do. Uh, certainly a, a good relationship that I have with those folks as well. And I imagine later on this week, Darren, you'll probably be doing some analysis of the cattle inventory report coming from USDA on Friday, is it? I think it's actually the cattle inventory, if I recall, is actually out on Tuesday uh, on the 31st. And I will be looking at that and I'll be tying it into all this talk about reducing demand, uh, you know, what we're seeing in, in, in some of the other reports and some of the other numbers. And certainly, you know, what we see in the markets themselves and see if we can make some sense of how all this ties together. And that's what it's all about, figuring out how these pieces work together across the commodity markets and how that's going to impact the other commodities that we trade. Folks, stay with us. We are going to have a lot more AOA coming up throughout the day. We'll be talking about weather with our friend John Baranek here when we return this segment. We've been talking with Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst there with Bar Chart. And Darren, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on again, Mike. Folks, stick around. We'll be right back with John Baranek from DTN Weather. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. 
Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. Hi, I'm News Correspondent Bob Woodruff. In 2006, a roadside bomb struck the armored vehicle I was riding in while reporting from Iraq. I sustained a life-threatening traumatic brain injury. The military term, got your six, means I have your back. And that day, our service members had mine. During my recovery, I learned firsthand the challenges facing our service members who return home with injuries. While serving, their fellow service members always had their six. Now that they're home, it is our turn. We started the Bob Woodruff Foundation to make sure that the camaraderie and support they relied on in the military carries on, and we need you. Please join us as part of the Got Your Six initiative and help us be there for impacted veteran service members and their families. They've had our backs. It's time we have theirs. Learn more at gotyoursix.org. That's gotyoursix.org, using the number six. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. We just heard from Darren Newsom in segment one about how the weather forecast is moving the markets here in the soybean trade. We'll talk about that in just a little bit, but we're also seeing the weather, well, changing people's behaviors up here in North America because it's cold for a lot of folks here across the country. Joining us now for an update on this week's weather is Mr. John Baranek of DTN Weather. And folks, if you were listening to us last week, John warned us, warned us about this cold front moving through. And John, how long is this below normal cold going to stick with us here in the northern corn belt yeah thanks mike thanks for having me on too um luckily it's going to be kind of brief you know when we were talking last week i was kind of concerned it might it might last for a while but um <laughs> almost the day after models started to change and, and gave us a little bit of hope here so yeah unfortunately you know we are dealing with a lot of cold across a lot of the country here this week um you know we've seen temperatures 20 30 below up in north dakota and minnesota um and some single digits all the way down to the texas panhandle so it's been uh it's been some pretty chilly air that has uh, moved through um luckily though uh this arm of the polar vortex that has brought us these cold temperatures will be moving out later this week uh, we'll get one final shot of of cold across kind of the the upper midwest and great lakes here kind of thursday friday but that'll be really quick and uh most of the country will be warming up for, for over the weekend and into next week well, that is good news, John. But as this polar vortex recedes here Thursday, Friday, or that cold snap comes back Thursday, Friday, any possibility for snow ice events coming with it? Well, yeah, I mean, we've got actually quite a lot of that uh, throughout the course of the week. Um, the, the front that kind of brought all that cold is still sticking around. It's basically kind of centered over South Texas and then kind of up the Ohio River a little bit, a little bit farther south than that right now. But uh, kind of the general areas of, of that is what we're looking at. Um, and we've got kind of little disturbances moving along it all throughout the week. So right now, as we're talking, we've got some snow showers moving through the eastern Midwest um, into the northeast. Um, and then there's another one that's really starting to develop some precipitation over Texas and Oklahoma. Actually, actually the, the ones going 
coming over Oklahoma are thunderstorms while it's in while temperatures are in the teens. So we've got uh, some thunder sleet and thunder snow going on over Oklahoma right now. Oh, wow. Well, that is certainly a place that could use the moisture. Maybe they, they don't want it in thunder snow or thunder sleet form. But John, how much of this moisture that's falling across the panhandles can actually infiltrate? Are we getting some drought relief still in that country? Uh, some. Uh, unfortunately for, you know, kind of the panhandle parts of it, we're not going to see a whole heck of a lot here um, out of out of this week's uh, precipitation events. We'll see a little bit, especially down in Texas. But, you know, you get you get farther north than Amarillo and we're not really seeing uh, much precipitation here uh, for those areas. So, you know, unfortunately, there's not a lot of, of areas that are going to get some drought relief. And even even the precipitation that's coming, um, you know, outside of kind of eastern and southern Texas um, is kind of on the generally light side um, if you melt it down to liquid. So we're, we're talking about less than less than an inch, even though we're, it might precipitate here over Texas and Oklahoma all the way through Thursday. Um, it's just not going to add up to a whole heck of a lot for folks. So um, unfortunately, the drought continues. All right, that's going to stick with us. But John, when we're looking for a bright spot in this past three years worth of drought, I mean, it's hard to ignore what's happened along the East Coast, up and down the Sierra Nevada mountains. How much of a relief has the state of California or the Mountain West got from these massive uh, rainstorms that have moved through over the past month? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the drought monitor, it still says they're in drought, but it's kind of hard to believe that just because of how much precipitation there. Um, if you look at any soil moisture maps, they're basically chock full of, of precipitation. Um, if you look at snowpack, we're already at the season, we're above the seasonal snowfall totals uh, all the way through the Sierras there in California. Uh, and most of the other mountain ranges there in the Southwest have kind of had similar, um, maybe, not as, maybe not as much as Sierras, but ahead of normal. Um, down there in the southwest. So, you know, uh, those mountains that feed the, the Colorado River as well have, have definitely um, picked back up in, in terms of uh, available moisture for once that uh, finally melts in the spring too. So everything down there is actually looking a heck of a lot better than it has uh, the last couple of, of winters, that's for sure. You know, it certainly is. I had the chance to work with some produce growers down in the Yuma, Arizona region, and they have been on tenterhooks watching these very light rain forecasts. And now to finally see some some of the lakes in the Colorado starting to refill, they, they're breathing a little bit easier, but there's a long way to go, John. To that end, how far west has that, or east rather, has that drought relief moved? Have we seen the Rockies collect adequate or above normal snowfall as well? Most of them have. So if you're basically in kind of south of Yellowstone um, through the Rockies, um, most areas there have been picking up their normal or above normal snowfall. It's not until you get kind of there northward that they've kind of missed out. Most, most of that uh, storm track has gone kind of through California and then through the Four Corners area, kind of missed all those northern areas. Uh, but for most of the Rockies, yeah, everyone's sitting in pretty good shape here right now, at least. You know, there's there's still a little bit of winter to go. And I think they, uh, you know, just how deep the drought has been, I think uh, folks down there would still love to get a little bit more uh, snowpack into the, some of those mountains there. But um, overall, everything's trending trending upward and trending better for those folks. All right, that's good news for growers here in North America. John, looking on the other side of the hemisphere here to South America, we heard from Darren that forecast in Argentina seems like it has changed here over the past 48 hours. What are you expecting as you look for rainfall in that region? Yeah, you know what? Um, uh, what's really changed is kind of the return of rainfall later this month, and it's kind of gone down. So, um, you know, actually, Argentina ended up with some pretty decent rainfall last Friday. Um, it didn't hit everybody equally, but uh, a lot of areas saw over an inch of rain, which is definitely good for them. Um, and then there's another front that's moving here, through here this week that'll bring some scattered showers through, but they're scattered, so not everyone's going to get hit by that. But outside of that, you know, going into mid-February, it doesn't look like there's going to be a whole lot of uh, real action going on. Earlier models kind of had um, either uh, another couple of fronts moving through or at least some showers developing in between fronts there um, kind of in the early half of this month. But now they really don't really show much of that anymore. So um, yeah, Argentina definitely looks dry going forward outside of this chance that they're going to get here uh, kind of Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of this week. Um, so, you know, they're going to be living off uh, another, you know, half inch of rain here for another couple of weeks. And um, although they got some pretty decent rainfall over the last couple of systems, a couple of couple of weeks here. Um, yeah, everything's still in, in poor condition. So that's not that hasn't changed.
John, I know Argentina is a very long country. It stretches a long mm -hmm. way north to south, which gives them a very long growing window. But I'm wondering if you know offhand, when can we stick a fork in this Argentina crop? I mean, we have been talking about their planting progress for four months here. How much longer yeah. can they stick crop in the ground? Um, you know, it. you, you kind of have to realize what time of year they're in. So getting into February is like us getting into August. So if you're planting in August, you know, things are not really going too well for you. Um, and you know, the sunlight is going to keep falling and falling and falling for them. Um, so every, you know, I, I don't know what the percentages is, but the longer and longer they wait, the more, more and more yield they lose just uh, loss of sunlight. Um, okay. So we're at that point now when their crop is, there. is kind of done. Yeah. So on, yeah, if they haven't planted by now, they're basically over. Um, and the, you know, a lot of it was planted real late anyway. Um, you know, we, you said they have a long growing season. That's true. But, you know, there comes a point where that's just too late and we've kind of eclipsed that point now. Okay. All right. So we'll have some firmness on these Argentinian soybean numbers here in the coming weeks as that planting comes to a stop and we get a feel for what's going to come out of those fields. But John, now Brazilian harvest is underway north. And of course, they're watching for rain to see if that's going to slow down the harvest progress. And what are you expecting? Is this moisture going to slow down progress in Brazil? Yeah, some of the um, larger states there, right in the middle of the the country, have been battling with with rainfall. It's been, you know, they normally see showers anyway, but it's been kind of a little bit more than they'd like to see. So it's been delaying their uh, their soybean harvest a bit and uh, their safrina corn planting too. And um, you know, luckily for them, and they get somewhat of a break. I mean, the showers are still going to be around this week, but at a much lower coverage and intensity than we've seen in recent weeks. So they'll be able to get into the field a little bit more, but just a little bit farther south, um, that's not the case. There's a front that's kind of stalled over there from the from the weekend that went through Argentina that, that gave them the good rain. And then the one that comes up from Argentina later this week will kind of do the same. So they've got kind of some uh, issues uh, with field work that they might not be able to get into um, in some of these areas. So obviously it doesn't really affect the soybean crop too much unless there's some quality concerns. But really what I'm concerned about for them is their safrina corn. If their planting is delayed too much longer here, they're going to run the risk of, of, you know, planting it too late and getting their corn into pollination uh, when the dry season starts. Uh, and when we talk about La Nina and how that affects kind of South America, that leads usually to a, a quicker end to their, their uh, wet season. And, uh, late planting and early end of their wet season, that wouldn't be a good combination for them. It wouldn't for Brazilian growers, but it might put some more action into this North American corn market. Folks, we've been talking with John Baranek of DTN Weather. And John, thanks for joining us today. And thank you, Mike. I always good to talk to you. The same here, folks. And stick around. We'll be talking with Chelsea Good from the Livestock Marketing Association when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Are you heading to NCBA in New Orleans? On Thursday, February 2nd, stop by the Christian Hansen booth, number 1639, for some exciting live radio. I'll be broadcasting AOA live from the Christian Hansen booth. That's number 1639 from 9 to 10 a.m. on Thursday. On Friday, stop by the Learning Lounge. At 1130, I'll be facilitating Christian Hansen's panel discussion on the benefits from the daily consumption of probiotics in beef cattle. We'll see you in New Orleans. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. While we're seeing a bit of South American weather concern premium in the soy complex here as we work through our day-to-day -day kicking off the week while corn and wheat fading a little bit to mixed choppy action as we work through the trading day on Monday. We were higher across the board in grains and oil seeds overnight but again, uh, the quarter wheat uh, side weakening a little bit with soybeans, meal, and oil showing good strength. Now, we did get some rains in Argentina over the weekend. We've been having drought concerns there. 
but those rains were largely scattered and the long-term forecast suggesting a risk of a return to stress. That's got traders uh, here putting a little bit of bullish premium in the soy complex today. Also, the slow advance of the Brazilian harvest is not an issue yet, but it could be a concern if it lasts for another 10 days to two weeks. The U.S. soybean export season is staying open here for the time being. We did get a sale of corn announced on the Daily Wire Monday morning to Japan, 112,000 metric tons for the 22-23 marketing year. So we are keeping our eyes on if that has any impact in the corn market, but it doesn't appear to be the case. Meantime, over in livestock, cattle features are up moderately with hogs a little bit lower, maybe some spreading of cattle against hogs, but also on the cattle side, traders expected to be fairly mixed ahead of Tuesday's cattle inventory report. And a lot of traders are believing the cow herd will be lower on the report, expecting it to be down around 4.2%. And if that number is realized, it would give us the lowest beef cow herd on record. The calf crop also expected to be down 2.8%. Plus, it is Fed week on Wall Street waiting for the Federal Reserve meeting to see what they do with interest rates. That's going to have an impact here on the outside markets. The stock market quiet here so far on Monday. Crude oil down about 1%. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Thank you so much for making us a part of your day. You know, one of the neat things that I love about agriculture is it's one of the industries that I think better understands than most the ability or the best way, I should say, to find the true price a market will bear. Agriculture understands that if you've got two folks who want something, the best thing to do is put them in a room, get those hands in the air, and see who wants it most in an auction format. Well, that's what our livestock marketing experts do across the country in sale barns, and it's time to check in on the health of our livestock marketers. And joining us to do that today is Chelsea Good. She serves as the Vice President of Government Affairs for the Livestock Marketing Association. And Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us on AOA today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. We've got Congress in session in Washington, D.C., and they're actually getting some work done on moving policies ahead. Chelsea, one of the most recent bills to be introduced into this new Congress is the A-plus Act, a refrain from this last Congress coming back again. And this is something LMA is supportive of, isn't it? Absolutely. We were happy to see that A-plus Act uh, reintroduced, um, just uh, removing outdated regulatory barrier and allow livestock auction market owners to own or invest in small and regional meat packers. We think it's an important bill. And Chelsea, what is prohibiting livestock uh, auction barn owners today from moving into that space? And what's the rationale behind it? You know, uh, we live under a, a really antiquated regulatory environment. The Packers and Stockyards Act actually is a 102-year-old law. So really was kind of designed more for the terminal stockyards pre-auction environment and, and that there's a prohibition there that keeps a livestock market owner for owning or investing in a packing facility. Well, fast forward to the transparent open businesses we see at livestock auctions today, there's no reason you wouldn't want an auction owner to be able to own or invest in a packing facility, particularly if that might bring another buyer to those seats. 
Absolutely. And who knows these cattle better in rural areas than the folks at the auction barn who have watched generations of genetic lines sell from these farms? Chelsea, it just seems to make a lot of sense. It certainly does. You know, in a world where we're wanting to increase processing capacity and especially wanting to increase competition and have some more, you know, local and regional processors, the most logical people to to invest and succeed in that space are going to be people who are already um, in, in the livestock space, like our livestock auction owners. That is certainly true. Now, I understand that the A-plus Act has been introduced into this Congress, and Chelsea, it's already bipartisan. Vicki Hartzler, Republican of Missouri, was one of the uh, the legislators who introduced it, along with Jimmy Panetta, a Democrat from California. What have you heard from Washington? Is there the potential for this to make it across the finish line in this Congress? I do think being bipartisan is really important, and so you're right. Um, your last Congress, this was a, a Hartzler-Panetta uh, bill. This Congress, uh, Vicki Hartzler's uh, successor, Mark Alford of Missouri, uh, went ahead and, and reintroduced, along with Jimmy Panetta, the Democrat of California. And we actually had Dusty Johnson of South Dakota, um, who's our former Livestock Subcommittee chair, join as an original co-sponsor. So I think that that is a really good sign that there is uh, momentum and excitement for this bill and the potential for it to get to move forward. And Chelsea, what are you hearing from LMA members? If this law were to get changed, if we were to open up this freedom for livestock barn owners, are there some that already have plans in place to add this to their operation? There are members of LMA who are interested, and they kind of are interested on a couple different levels. I've got some member markets that um, have a local processor or kind of a um, you know, something on the smaller level that they're interested in buying or even building a new facility. And then I also have some members that will look at some of these pooled funds facilities that are taking on investors and uh, places like um, Nebraska and Iowa and Texas and saying, hey, I want to invest in that. You know, I wouldn't be running it day to day, but I want to in- invest in this business because I think it's the right thing for our, our ag community. And so, have people in both of those camps that are interested in in getting involved in the packing space. All right. We'll see if this can have legs once it gets to Congress. Folks, if you are interested in this area, improving meat processing capacity in the country, keep an eye on the A-plus Act currently in the House of Representatives. Chelsea, while we've got you on the line, I'm curious about the overall health of LMA members. We're in a situation right now where we've got enthusiasm for feeder cattle. I'm hearing of livestock sales where boy, things are really moving as those feeders come into the ring. How are auctioneers feeling as 2023 gets started? We're, we're, we're having really good competition in our, our feeder runs, and that's always you know, exciting for the markets and, and the producers that the market serves. So um, that's, that's an exciting uh, situation to be in as we start out this new year. It certainly is, Chelsea. But of course, rural... Livestock Marketing Associations, not not only are these sale barns facing a lot of the challenges we're facing in the bigger economy, they're facing some challenge specifically for being rural and, and, and in rural areas that are perhaps less populated. I'm wondering about mail service. We saw back in December, USPS were slowing down mail service. How's that impacting member members of LMA? You know, that's actually a big challenge for our membership because, um, most of the funds that we receive are, are checks in the mail. So checks that used to be received, you know, a couple days after the sale, um, sometimes they're taking a week plus to get to the livestock auction. So you know, one great thing for producers to know is when you sell at a livestock auction, you've got that guarantee of a good check. It's actually the market that's got a custodial account and is bonded that is paying those producers. Um, but we're seeing kind of a slowing in the funds that of buyers checks getting to the market. And so, we're having some conversations, uh, both with USDA um, and within the industry about, you know, maybe we need to encourage more electronic payment, more ACH and wire transfer, um, because the, these checks in the mail are not going to get any faster. In fact, it's part of the U.S. Postal Service uh, long-range plans to slow down mail even further. So I think that that's a, a challenge in our industry and something that we're probably going to have to make some adjustments around. Chelsea, in your conversation with the folks at the Postal Service, is there the potential that maybe with a big enough groundswell of support, we could get service returned at least maybe for crucial things like checks coming in the mail? I, I, I'm an eternal optimist. Unfortunately, I, I don't, I'm not super optimistic on this topic. I think that um, the speed of the Postal Service is not something I see really um, taking a turn for the positive direction, unfortunately. And so, 
you know, it's still going to be well utilized by people in our industry. You know, we've got a long history of uh, that being a, you know, a popular way to pay for livestock, but at the same time, people are really starting to look at alternatives. You know, and so, sometimes that is a FedEx or an X day of a check, and sometimes it's looking electronically, but I don't see USPS getting getting faster, unfortunately. No, I think you're probably right. As these things change, it's best just to make adjustments elsewhere in the operation to keep that money moving. But folks, be prepared for that. Remember, your auction barn's working for you. Sometimes the other folks in the chain just might not be pulling quite as hard as they need to to keep things rolling. Chelsea, as you look out to this year ahead, we've seen a ton of focus on improving margins to the cattle producer, making sure that last dollar makes its way all the way through the value chain. As you look out from an LMA perspective on a policy front this year with the farm bill coming. Are there any other issues beyond A-plus that you're going to be working on in a concerted fashion this year? Certainly, um, you're going to be involved in all of those conversations. I think from, a, from an auction perspective, uh, producer profitability is absolutely key, right? We don't have livestock auctions unless we have profitable producers. Uh, and I think that that's part of why we believe in that um, you know competition that happens at that auction level. And so, that's something that we're going to continue to, um, you know, encourage folks to take advantage of. And as we look at, you know, what else is going on legislatively, there are some things like livestock mandatory reporting that provide good information for producers that got extended um, at the end of the year through the appropriations. We'd like to continue to see livestock mandatory reporting extended. Uh, actually, right now, Congress is working on a, our USDA is working on at Congress's direction a contract library, uh, a way for people to get a little bit of a better view about what sort of um, agreements are out there, formula agreements between feed yards and packers. We're paying a lot of attention to that because we think that that's just a healthy way to provide more information, to give producers you know, a, a good view of what all is out there when they're making their own decisions and deals. That's true. And that contract library, of course, that was just created in this past year. When do we expect that to be up and going? Or is it already, Chelsea? Um, so so Congress uh, directed for USDA to, to do a pilot. Um, I've seen kind of a, a preview of the pilot. Um, I know that there are others in industry who have kind of gotten that um, initial view. Um, USDA has taken feedback from those industry members and making some tweaks. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw something a little bit more public facing, maybe even yet this spring. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, they are getting after it. That is good to hear, Chelsea. You know, speaking of producer profitability, there will be a lot of cattle industry participants in New Orleans later this week for the NCBA Cattle Convention. Will LMA be making the rounds down there talking with producers? Absolutely. Um, I'll be there, and um, so will Mark Barnett, our uh, national president from Kentucky, Tennessee Livestock Market as well as many other active LMA members who look forward to seeing folks out in New Orleans. Absolutely. Chelsea, will there be any place that LMA will be speaking while we're in New Orleans, or should we just keep an eye out for you and wave if we see you? <laughs> yeah, Mark Barnett and myself are going to be on the agenda Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. There is a, uh, a Livestock Marketing Council that meets there at NCBA, and so we'll be uh, We'll be in the room there on Wednesday at 8 a.m. for the Marketing Council meeting and uh, look forward to seeing people there and in the hall. Fantastic, folks. Chelsea, if we've got listeners who want to keep up to speed on what LMA is working on on a policy front, what's the website? Where can they go for more information? Website is LMAweb.com. LMAweb.com. Folks, check that out if you need more on what livestock marketers across the country are up to. We've been speaking with Chelsea Good, Vice President of Government Affairs there at LMA. And Chelsea, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we'll talk through a couple other issues that are impacting the ag industry. Stay with us for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. 
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. Pride, it runs deep for those in agriculture, but that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. Are you heading to MCBA in New Orleans? February's monthly grind is taking place live on the showroom floor on Wednesday, February 1st from 9 to 10 a.m. I'll be broadcasting AOA live from the U.S. Meat Export Federation booth on behalf of the National Corn Growers Association. Also, on Thursday at 12.30 in the Learning Lounge, I'll be facilitating NCGA's panel discussion with special guests from the USMEF and Port of New Orleans on what you need to know about the value of trade and exports to your operation. We'll see you in New Orleans. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends, surprise parties, camps, birthdays. The same way you plan for the important moments, start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts. Prepare an emergency kit and make a family communications plan. Get started at ready.gov plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council.
This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. You know, in this last segment, we spoke with Chelsea Good of the Livestock Marketing Association about the A-plus bill, the Amplifying Processing of Livestock in the United States bill. That's only one of the pieces of legislation that this new Congress has gotten engaged on already. This last week on Friday, we spoke with Chair of the House Ag Committee, Chairman G.T. Thompson, on the program about the work they're doing on the House of Legislature side to get geared up for this 2023 Farm Bill. Reminder, the current Farm Bill expires at the last day of September. So Congress will be working to get some new uh, new legislation on the books by that time. We heard from GT about the House side. Now we're hearing from the Senate side. Their work is getting underway as well. It was announced earlier on Monday that Wednesday will be the first hearing for the Senate Ag Committee. Chairwoman Debbie Stabenow, Stabenow excuse me, a Democrat from Michigan, and senior Republican ranking member John Bozeman said on uh, earlier today that Wednesday's hearing will be the first a formal hearing by either the House or the Senate Ag Committee, and they're going to be talking through some of the issues that are going to be under discussion. Notably, ag trade, one of the largest issues that impacts ag, the ag industry. One-fifth of ag production is exported, so ag trade will be on the docket for Wednesday's hearing. We'll be hearing from ag undersecretaries Alexis Taylor, of course, just nominated to her post at the USDA right around Christmas time, and Jenny Moffett, who uh, also works on the USDA marketing programs. She is scheduled to testify on Wednesday, as well as Sarah Charles, who is the head of the USAID, Bureau for Humanitarian assistance. All of those folks will be talking about the impact of the farm bill on ag trade looking out ahead. The Senate will also be hearing discussions on food aid. As a reminder, that farm bill roughly in any given year, 80% of the dollars allocated to farm bill assistance go towards that food aid and nutrition title spending, helping keep that coalition together for agriculture as they push this massive bill across the finish line. We'll continue to keep updated on farm bill negotiations as they move forward. But we've also got some news for a big name in agriculture. Bayer. Bayer Technology, of course, purchased Monsanto here five, six years ago. And when they did, when Bayer purchased Monsanto, they purchased the entire Monsanto product line, including Roundup. And of course, those of us in agriculture are aware Roundup has faced numerous lawsuits, most of them in California, alleging that it is a carcinogen and it has opened up some legislative risk or excuse me, some uh, some legal liability for Bayer. And their investors are starting to push back. Numerous large investors have called in to Bayer and they have said they want to see a change of leadership. Most recently, a German mutual fund came out, DECA is the name of this, and they have called for Bayer's CEO to be replaced ahead of his scheduled departure. He's already announced he's leaving uh, in just a little bit and they want him gone now. And Bayer has said, we are open to a constructive dialogue with our shareholders, but they have declined to comment on whether or not the CEO will be looking for a new job sooner rather than later. This is not the only push for Bayer and for most of these activist investors, one of their main concerns are the legal liabilities remaining from the purchase of Monsanto. Notably those Roundup cases, as of right now, the legal claims facing Bayer over Roundup and uh, and Roundup losses are more than 60 billion dollars stemming from 2018. So we'll continue to keep an eye on this. Of course, as a lot of you listen, we don't spend a whole lot of time in the equity markets on AOA, but Bayer is such a big player in the world of agriculture. We'll continue to watch this and see if anything develops that could impact availability or pricing as we get further into this growing season. And another topic that we're going to be talking about again in the growing season of 2023 will be supply chain disruptions. For the moment, we're quiet on the supply chain issues here in the United States. We've spoken with our meteorologist friends. River levels in the Mississippi are rising. Barges are moving on the lower mists. Forecast is looking pretty good for that mode of transportation. And rail issues have moved into the background here in the United States. After that agreement between the, uh, the labor and management here back at the uh, early part of December, rail service has stabilized, at least in the United States. But folks, we are one cog in a giant global trading system, and we're having trouble around the world, notably 
British train drivers are expected to start going on strike here at the beginning of February. And uh, they are going to do a two-day strike in the first week, and then they're going to do a weekend walkout. But it sounds like that's really only going to impact the, uh, the London Underground, their subway, so not a huge impact for goods. However, the train drivers impact and will impact good transportation across Great Britain here as the month of February gets started. These are touching most of the major rail companies across Great Britain. Expect to see it Wednesday, Friday, across the weekend. These strikes are going to percolate. And folks, just because Great Britain is where we're hearing about it first doesn't mean it's going to be the last place we hear about these issues. We just don't have the labor we need across the supply chain, uh, the logistics circle around the world. Well, looking around the world, one of the topics that's been under conversation since uh, COVID first got started was the food crisis in Africa. Of course, these last three years of La Nina have not been good for Africa's climate. We've seen crop failures across the Horn of Africa, across the western parts of that continent, and they're starting to react. There was a, a greeting or a gathering in Dakar earlier this week. And $30 billion has been put together by 40 different African countries. Uh, they all come together. They've recognized that more than one in five Africans is facing hunger or starvation. It's 278 million people. So these 40 countries have gotten together. They're pooling their resources and they're on a drive to increase the agricultural output of Africa. It's a trend we've talked about a few times on this program. There is a lot of opportunity in Africa from an ag exporting perspective of those, those folks rise in wealth. They start to see their economies grow a little bit and those governments start to uh, to, to manage things in a more legal way. There's reports of less corruption. Things are moving in the right direction for Africa. But in the meantime, they are hungry. So these 40 countries are going to invest in markets. They say they're going to invest in infrastructure, energy. They're going to invest in roads and storage and the basic infrastructure you need in order to make agriculture work. Those investments will be getting underway later this week. We'll see how they could change the flow of money around the world of agriculture. Folks, tune in to AOA tomorrow. We'll dive deeper into policy with Joshua Bakey from Farm Futures Magazine. We'll see you then to cover more issues important to agriculture. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great day. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Are you heading to NCBA in New Orleans? On Thursday, February 2nd, stop by the Christian Hansen booth, number 1639, for some exciting live radio. I'll be broadcasting AOA live from the Christian Hansen booth. That's number 1639 from 9 to 10 a.m. on Thursday. On Friday, stop by the Learning Lounge. At 1130, I'll be facilitating Christian Hansen's panel discussion on the benefits from the daily consumption of probiotics in beef cattle. We'll see you in New Orleans. Are you heading to NCBA in New Orleans? February's monthly grind is taking place live on the showroom floor on Wednesday, February 1st from 9 to 10 a.m. I'll be broadcasting AOA live from the U.S. Meat Export Federation booth on behalf of the National Corn Growers Association. Also, on Thursday at 12.30 in the Learning Lounge, I'll be facilitating NCGA's panel discussion with special guests from the U.S. MEF and Port of New Orleans on what you need to know about the value of trade and exports to your operation. We'll see you in New Orleans.